Hello and welcome back to Let the Stone Speak. This is a podcast where we talk about the very latest in biblical archaeology, mainly from here in Jerusalem, but also elsewhere in Israel and then more further afield in the Middle East. Uh, We have a magazine, Let the Stone Speak, as well. This is a magazine that's available to you for free. If you haven't signed up for this, I definitely recommend doing so. Uh, This is the latest edition of it. Uh, You might remember this uh, fine lady on the front cover, Dr. Elot Mazar, who died um, a year and a half ago now. And this special issue of the magazine goes back and looks at her discoveries in Jerusalem, discovery after discovery after discovery, and puts it in a, a, a way that visually you can understand what she discovered and she certainly is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, archaeologist in Jerusalem's history. And I believe as time goes on, her discoveries will be further vindicated. And that's one of the jobs, I believe, of what we're doing is just trying to give voice and vocal support and also uh, uh, academic support uh, to her discoveries and her claims, both in the city of David and the UFL. Um, but this this article is uh, this this magazine itself it's very important for you to get uh, it's available to you wherever you are in the world uh, we'll ship it to you it comes out six times per year and if you haven't got this specific one you're probably going to have to write and request for it yourself uh, because it already just went out and it's sent out uh, around the world um, if you would like this magazine and to subscribe, you can write an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org, letters at armstronginstitute.org, and just give me your name, your address, and say that you would like a copy of the Dr. Mazar issue of Let the Stone Speak. On today's program, we've got two stories lined up uh, from the past week and a half. The second one, we'll be interviewing one of our staff here, Christopher Eames, who's written about its discovery, so he knows more about it than I do. It relates to a monumental inscription that most likely mentions the name of King Hezekiah. Uh, King Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings of ancient Judah, who ruled in the late 8th century, who stood up to the Assyrian Empire in Sennacherib, the Assyrian emperor of the time. Just a a famous individual who's been already uh, proven through archaeological discoveries. Um, However, we're going to look at a new one that at least uh, came to public eye that was discovered here in Jerusalem in the past decade. So stick around for the second half where we'll be talking to Mr. Christopher Eames about that. The story I'd like to cover in this first segment, though, relates to what I think is just a a really important and and fascinating development in science and putting it together with archaeology as well. This is the process of archaeomagnetism. And there was a a brand new paper that came out uh, written by uh, Joav Vaknin. He's a doctoral candidate at Tel Aviv University. There are also a host of other authors Uh, attached to this study as well. Um, And there was many authors because what it did is it used this new groundbreaking uh, technology to go back and look at several destruction layers all through ancient Israel, particularly ones that we have a very firm date for, uh, destruction of Sennacherib, let's say, Lachish. This is a a site in original Judea that we know that Lachish 
uh, was destroyed by Sennacherib, and we have a, a pretty specific date for that. And so then you can go ahead, and, and as the, the authors of this study have done, is look at the magnetic signature, if we can call it that, of the artifacts discovered, the, the pottery, mud brick, other things that are discovered in that destruction layer of Lachish, and compare that magnetic timestamp to destructions elsewhere and see if they have the exact same signature. And if they have the exact same signature, since the magnetic field of the Earth really it changes so often during this period, both in its intensity and its direction, if they have the same signature, then it's just they're destroyed. These destructions happened at the same time. And so where there is debate over a certain destruction at a different city, which isn't which isn't as as well testified to in historical sources, let's say as Lachishius and Sennacherib. This is just an example. This can then help determine whether those two cities were destroyed at the same time or a different time. And so this is just a really interesting uh, study that we're going to talk about briefly. We have an article about this on our website already. And so if you miss some of the details, you can go ahead and read it. It's called Breakthrough New, uh, Breakthrough New Geomagnetic Research Reveals the Truth Behind Biblical Narratives. The the article, I think, is, is definitely worth your time. Uh, Haaretz actually had a quite a good article about this as well, I believe, by Ariel David. Uh, his article is entitled, Archaeologists Reconstruct Biblical Conflicts Using Earth's Magnetic Field. And Ariel David writes this at the start of his couple paragraphs down. He says, Questions over the dating of ancient sites in the Levant is not purely academic. They lie at the heart of the longstanding debate over fact and fiction in the Bible. This is what archaeology is about. It's less about finding the cool stuff in the ground and more about being able to date it. You have to be able to date it to a specific time. The more narrow the window of the dating, then you can attach a historical source, most likely the Bible, uh, for, for this area of land and during this period, to what you discover. And that's incredibly important. It helps you learn about the people of the time. And so finding amazing things is not as important as itself as being able to put a date, a people uh, to those things that the makers of them or, or um, whether or not this, this discovery correlates with the historical record or not. So archaeology is, is more about dating than it is about the finding. Being able to date what you find lies at the heart of, of archaeology. He continues, now a new scientific technique based on information from the Earth's ever-changing magnetic field is helping archaeologists date their findings and reconstruct biblical conflicts that occurred in the Iron Age. That is the period that goes from the 12th to the 6th century BCE and spans the rise and fall of the biblical kingdoms of Israel and Judah. So this is really interesting. Uh, Yoav uh, Vatkin, who, who, who was the lead author in this study that was published that all these news articles are based from, a uh, doctoral candidate at Tel Aviv University, he gave just a short video uh, that demonstrates how this process works and what were some of the results of the study. So I'll play that for you now. In our research, we reconstructed the magnetic field of the Earth, which was, was recorded in 21 destruction layers in 17 archaeological sites throughout Israel. And we used these changes as a dating tool. This way we could check 
biblical narratives regarding the Egyptian, Aramean, Assyrian, and Babylonian military campaigns to Israel and check whether the biblical narratives are true or not according to the magnetic field recorded in every one of these destruction layers. So the magnetic field of the earth comes from the movement of iron which is well uh, down in the interior part of the earth and when this iron moves around it creates uh, the magnetic field of the earth. We don't see it but for example when you hold a compass it points to the north because of that magnetic field. In the same way within many archaeological materials like this mud brick I'm holding or in any pottery vessel we have ferromagnetic minerals which have also a very small magnetic signal you can imagine a tiny compass and when they're burned to high temperatures they, all these uh, tiny compasses point to the, to the magnetic north of the time. When they cool down, they record this magnetic signal and we can come thousands of years later and reconstruct the direction and the intensity of the magnetic field which was at the time of the fire. So as you can see, just amazing uh, details that, that we can discover putting together uh, archaeology and cutting-edge science. I do want to just take you through a couple of these examples of what the study has brought up and, and some of the changes that were made um, in or some of the uh, some of the results that have kind of changed understanding based on a few sites. I think one of them that's really interesting is looking at the the destruction of Bet Shemesh, this city that is uh, located kind of on the way down to the Philistine coast. Um, halfway down, you have the, the city of Bet Shemesh. And there was, um, uh, in the early 8th century, a destruction of that town. This is what archaeologists discover when they excavated that. But there wasn't any other historical source outside of the Bible that talked about a destruction or a potential destruction inside this town. Uh, it didn't match the Aramean invasion. It, it was too. It was too uh, early for the Assyrian invasion. And so, who did it? And what's interesting about this is it. It kind of it backs up or does support very much what the Bible says about uh, the destruction of Bet Shemesh. I'll just quote again from Ariel David. This is what he writes in his article. He says, another link between the biblical narrative and the archaeological record emerges from the magnetic study of Bet Shemesh, an ancient Judahite town just west of Jerusalem. The data suggests the town was destroyed at the beginning of the 8th century BCE. And so, you know, archaeology minus this process that this archaeomagnetism of this destruction, it was hard. Was it earlier? Was it later? Was it Aramean? Was it, was it Assyrian? Who knows? And, you know, archaeologists debate over it. Why? Because, because there was no way to exactly pinpoint it to a certain time period. But now this is what uh, he writes, uh, this Ariel David, based on Vak Vaknin's uh, study. The data suggests the town was destroyed at the beginning of the 8th century BCE. Vaknin and colleagues say, this does not correspond with any foreign invasion of the Levant or any known major natural disaster, but dovetails well with a biblical episode of an internal conflict between the kingdom of Israel and Judah around 790 BCE. 
And so this is a passage inside the Bible that now they can say the destruction that happened to Bet Shemesh around this time was the very one from 2,800 years ago. This is what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 14. But Amaziah, who was the king of Judah, would not hear. So Jehoash, king of Israel, went up. And he and Amaziah, king of Judah, looked one another in the face at Bet Shemesh, which belonged to Judah. And Judah was put to the worse for Israel, before Israel. And they fled every man to his tent. And so it details here this battle that took place there. And then Joash would actually go up uh, into Jerusalem and destroy some of that as well. Uh, this is what we write in our article. Here is an account not of the conquest from a faraway polity, but instead of an internal conflict between the kingdoms of Israel and Judah that correlates directly with the geomagnetic data. So just cool, very cool that you can study the dating from the geo geomagnetic data and put it with a biblical event and say definitively, this is what we have in this example. And one other, there's, there's a couple of others, and I'll, I'll leave you this article for you uh, to read so you can discover some of these other fixes that uh, the, the, the study um, applies to certain destruction layers where, where scholars have debated for a long time as to who destroyed this city and who destroyed this other city and so on. However, I'd like to talk about one other really interesting uh, part of this study, and it doesn't actually relate to a destruction itself. It relates to the, the time period at which certain uh, seal impressions were in, imprinted on pottery jars, pottery vessels. Now, these are the famous lamellic inscriptions. Lamellic to the king is what it means. They're found everywhere through Judah, uh, not really in Israel. And they're found um, up to the destruction that you find in Lachish. So around the time uh, of during the period of, of King Hezekiah. And what this study has done is gone back and looked at the signature, the magnetic field signature, if we can call it that, um, of when these vessels were fired, when these vessels were made, because it's not a destruction, but it's when it's when the vessels were made themselves, because they go through a firing process uh, to be hardened. And so, what is the date then? What what date do these lamellic impressions show up as? What what date do they they uh, is determined by this? This is what the study itself says. It's always good to go back to these, the study itself. This is called Reconstructing Biblical Military Campaigns Using Geomagnetic Field Data. And it's from the PNAS Research Journal. And this is the actual uh, study that Joav Vaknin was the lead author to. And you can see all these famous archaeologists uh, after him. And further down... Uh, on, in this, it talks about these seal impressions. And surprisingly, uh, when I say seal impression, uh, I, don't I don't need a, so let's, uh, let's call it a stamp impression said, not a seal impression. This is something that's stamped onto a vessel, not a bullet itself. Our large, well-dated data set enable revisiting the debated dating of two sets of stamped storage jar handles that were part of the administrative system of the kingdom of Judah. 
So we're talking about the kingdom of Judah when they had an administrative system set up, when they were a functioning government and they had a, a certain administration able to, to uh, organize the, the, all of the kingdom and they had all these Lamalek impressions stamped onto many of the, the vessels themselves uh, and these other personal seals as well. I'll continue. Uh, an early subset of the LMLK or Lamalek, meaning in he Hebrew, belonging to the king, and the private stamp seals handles bearing names probably of officials. Since these two sets, so you had the LMLKs and these personal se private uh, seals bearing names, since these two sets were found in destruction layers to 701 BCE, all this destruction of Sennacherib, and not in later contexts, it is accepted that they were in use until 701. So everyone says 701, they're in use. But, or however, the introduction date of these sets is debated. It has recently been suggested that their introduction was after 733 to 732 uh, BCE Assyrian campaigns, a suggestion based mainly on historical assumption and on the fact that no handles of these types were found in destruction layers from the kingdom of Israel that are attributed to these campaigns. So people said, oh, well, it probably happened when the Assyrians started to come down. And so this is mainly Hezekiah's time in the southern kingdom of Judah. That's when they began. But what does the study say? However, comparing our results from the destruction layers to previous archaeo-intensity measurements from handles of both types and to measurements from four LMLK handles reported here in the study, supports an even earlier introduction. Due to the similar, similar intensity results from all six destruction layers dated 733 to 701 BCE, it seems unlikely that the field intensity changed considerably, considerably during this short period. The intensity results of all measured private handles and some, some of the early LMLK handles are lower than the field recorded the magnetic field recorded during the 733 to 701 BCE campaigns and are in agreement with published data from the first half of the 8th century BCE. So for everyone that comes along and, and you know, this was the known date, the LMLK impressions, they predate Hezekiah, at least their introduction. I think definitely Hezekiah used this administrative state that was there, and he certainly enlarged it. Um, however, they, they existed before, and not just like a decade before, or even two decades before, or even three decades before. We're going back probably to 790, 780 BCE, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years before King Hezekiah. There was a strong administrative state in Judea. Of course, if you read the Bible, this would be no surprise to you. However, most scholars today, they simply believe that Judah was nothing, was not much at all until King Hezekiah comes along. And then after that, oh, you have the introduction of all the Israelites from the north, the refugees, and they made the southern kingdom strong. Not so. And this is uh, something that is demonstrated by this new discovery. They continue to write, following these results as demonstrated in the archaeomagnetic dating of the private stamped handles, 
as well as the LMLK ones, the early ones, we suggest that both sets could have already been in use during the first half of the 8th century BCE. This suggestion is relevant to the debate regarding the appearance of a complex polity in Judah. Meaning that, when was it a fully functioning great state that could do all these things and have this civil administration? Well, it was before Hezekiah. We just jumped back a good 50 years in time. Now, I would say that we can jump back a good 100, 200 years in time, and evidence will be produced uh, that firmly backs that up. Nevertheless, I think this is just an interesting, a really interesting part of this study that hasn't got many atten much attention. And if you're talking about who was the biblical king at this time, when these were likely introduced, well, it was probably uh, King Uzziah or Azariah. This is the famous king that, that lived 780, ruled 780, 770, uh, 760. He was contemporary with Jeroboam II of the north. Just a couple of verses about him. Second Chronicles 26, it says this about him. Now, this is verse 1 to uh, 5. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah, and he built a lot and restored it to Judah. So this is great expansion underneath uh, King Uzziah, all the way down to the Red Sea. That's where a lot is. Restored it to Judah. After that, after that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years was Uzziah when he began to reign. And he, uh, he reigned 50 and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. This is the JPS. And he did that which was right in the eyes of the eternal, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who was a priest, who had understanding in the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And so you do have this amazing period of prosperity during Uzziah's reign, and you do have a combo, a relationship between King Jeroboam II and Uzziah, and together they were able to just reconstitute almost the, the size of the united monarchy under David and Solomon. That's what the Bible says, and we have artifacts to bear that out, uh, and now we have and inscriptions to bear that out, and now we have even more proof that at the time of Uzziah, in the words of this study, uh, there was already the appearance of a complex polity in Judah. And how do we know this? We can discover this from the new field of archaeo, the new science of archaeomagnetism. <clears throat> We're going to take a short break. Again, if you want to read more about this, please do go to our website, armstronginstitute.org, and read the article, Breakthrough New Geomagnetic Research Reveals the Truth Behind Biblical Narratives. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second half of today's program. I'm here with uh, Mr. Christopher Eames. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Brent. It's been some time since uh, you've been it on has. the podcast. We've had a break for Sukkot, uh, but we're back at it. You're writing again on some great discoveries that are being made here in Jerusalem. And this one that we would like to talk about refers to a monumental inscription. The article title that you've written is 
Hezekiah, first of its kind, monumental inscription of a king of Judah revealed. What can you tell us about this discovery? Sure. Well, this discovery came out last week, uh, initially in Hebrew sources, and we picked up on that uh, via Facebook primarily and a television broadcast here in Israel in Hebrew that was released last week. Now, there are several qualifications to this. We say that it is a monumental inscription. Actually, it's only about the size of your hand. Uh, monumental in the fact that it's a small fragment of what would have been a monumental inscription. And written in the t- into two lines, preserved lines of text, uh, in quite large letters uh, for such a small, in, uh, broken-off piece of this inscription, are the words Zekiah, and then underneath... Richa uh, B. So evidently it's a fragmentary inscription and we're missing parts of the words, but uh, the most logical explanation for, for a reconstruction of this text uh, was presented last week by Professor Gershon Gilil, an epigraphist here in Israel, and archaeologist Eli Shukron, and he was the one that initially discovered this artifact. And they reconstructed the first word as Hezekiah or Hezekiah, uh, the biblical king Hezekiah. So missing that initial mm-hmm. first letter, the Chet. And the, the Zain is quite hard to see, but, but they do identify uh, at least a part of the Zain there. So Hezekiah. And then underneath there's a Resh um, Kaf He, and then a space, and then a Bet. So we don't know anything about what what word the bet could be, mm-hmm. but the the word prior is most likely missing a bet at the start of that word, and is most probably bricha, meaning pull. So this is a significant discovery from several angles. It's the first monumental uh, stealer, you could say, or or artifact mentioning a king of either Judah or Israel. So up to this point. Uh, the only inscriptions we have relating to kings of Judah and of Israel have been quite small mm-hmm. inscriptions, royal seal stamps, bullae. And so the, the general thinking was, well, we have all these big monumental inscriptions from other empires around uh, the Middle East, around Mesopotamia, uh, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians. So we don't have any from... Israel or from Judah, so maybe they didn't do this kind of thing. Maybe they didn't have monumental inscriptions. And probably the closest thing you have to one like that would be the Siloam inscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even that doesn't have any reference to Hezekiah. If it did, it, it's been broken since. But even that inscription is more praising the work of the diggers of Hezekiah's tunnel itself. So this, this general picture that maybe Israel and Judah didn't really do monumental inscriptions like the surrounding empires that referenced their kings, that picture is changing based on this recent discovery. Uh, again, it's just a small fragment, but we know enough from the fragment to be able to tell it was part of a larger inscription, and it does contain that name, Hezekiah. Yeah, so if you're going to find any portion of this inscription, you've got the operable uh, parts <laughs> naming a king, uh, and then the the second word here that's most likely on this inscription. Uh, how does that relate, and um, also to its place of discovery, I suppose? 
So, it, yeah, this, is, this converges with the biblical account in a number of ways, not just mentioning King Hezekiah, but of course the Bible uh, describes in several different passages Hezekiah's waterworks. Uh, it talks about, I believe it's 2 Kings 20 verse 20. It talks about, uh, in summarizing Hezekiah's reign, it mentions that uh, Siloam tunnel, the Hezekiah's tunnel, and it also mentions the pool which he made. Mm-hmm. So evidently Hezekiah uh, was was involved in a lot of waterworks, constructions, and specifically a pool that was made as well. And so we have here in this, albeit fragmentary inscription, we have Hezekiah, we have most likely reference to a pool, and this inscription was found in the general area of a pool uh, in, in excavations that took place by Eli Shukran and Rani Reich um, in the vicinity of the Gihon Spring and that, that uh, waterworks area. And that's another interesting element to this as well, because this inscription was found, must be about 15 years ago now, 2007. Excavated at that time. Excavated. It was, uh, it was found at that time, but the, the full decipherment wasn't arrived at until later on. And that's where we have another qualification as well, because um, on the heels of Professor Gilil and uh, Shukran's announcement, um, an, epi- an epigrapher from Europe, uh, Dr. Peter van der Veen, um, revealed that he, in 2009, released an analysis of the discovery, unfortunately in German were his words, uh, that, that basically concluded many of the same, uh, many of the same conclusions as Galil and Shukran, that this inscription was indeed referencing Hezekiah. So he made that, uh, that, um, he put out that release in 2009 in Germany. We can only speculate, uh, it must have flown under the radar, uh, but there are differences in the conclusions as well. And namely in that Galil and Shukron, in their new uh, release that they made just last week, they compare this inscription with another fragment that was found way back in 1978, I believe, by mm-hmm. Professor uh, Yigal Shiloh on his dig, just uh, 150 meters away from the location where this artifact was found. And it's another uh, comparable limestone fragment containing, again, partial inscription that they say matches with the inscription on this latest uh, fragment and also the stone type is the same they believe as well and this has all been submitted to uh, peer review for a journal as well so, so we don't have this late like the comparison between these two uh, inscriptions we don't have the full scientific study about that part of it yet. not yet so we're awaiting that uh, but, but they do make that comparison between these inscriptions. They posit that they were part of the same monumental inscription. Interestingly, on the Shiloh inscription, the, the one excavated by Professor Shiloh, that uh, has three lines of text. The middle line says Shvaisve in Hebrew, which means 17 or 17th. So as such, uh, Gilil and Shukran uh, posit that this Inscription, as monumental inscriptions so often do, they're associated with a specific date, mm-hmm. and this could be associated with a specific year, the 17th year in the reign of Hezekiah. And that would fit, as right. we know from the Bible, because Hezekiah had had a long 
rain, um, nearly 30-year rain, and uh, the 17th year would be about 709 BC, depending on how you date it. So there are, there are a few additional links there with that inscription. So we'll have to wait until the press release does come out. We can get more detail. Sorry, the, uh, the peer review paper comes out on this and we can get more details from that. And we don't mind this because it produces lots of mileage for us. We get to talk about it now. We get to talk exactly. about it when the, when the paper comes out. Well, Chris has written an article. It's entitled, Hezekiah, First of Its Kind Monumental Inscription of a King of Judah Revealed. You can go to that uh, by looking at the show notes of today's program, or you can go to armstronginstitute.org. I think it's still on the front page. If not, just scroll down with some of our articles, and you'll get... Uh, the latest about this discovery. Thanks very much for your time, Chris. Not a problem, Brent. We'd like to mention before we go again, this magazine, Let the Stones Speak, this one, the latest one's about the work and life and work of Dr. Elot Mazar, one of the best and greatest archaeologists whom we both have a pretty close relationship with and still have a close relationship with the family of Dr. Elot Mazar. Some of these books actually behind us uh, belonged to Dr. Elot Mazar, but now they're housed here in the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology here in Jerusalem. This again, this magazine, you can read it uh, online or better yet, get yourself a free subscription to it by going to the website and you can hit publications at the top and then go to magazine and sign up for your free subscription. Thank you very much for joining the program today, for listening to us, and we'll talk to you next time. 